Hey, I want to tell you a story before the sermon, and it's just one of those stories that has to be told. It's not my story to tell, but the guy whose story it is to tell isn't here. I want to tell it before it gets stale. Do you understand that? Uh, it's never going to get stale, but you know what I mean. So, uh, you know, our, one of our elders here at Kerman's Alliance uh, was told that it looked like he, well, he had a nodule that showed up on a test. And then they did the radioactive dye test, and uh, sure enough, it came back, that's not just a benign thing, that's going to be cancer. And so then they went to do the biopsy. When he had the biopsy, then he went out west to go hunting with his son, waiting the results of the biopsy. The doctor called him and he said, you know, I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that's not cancer. The bad news is it's part of your spleen, and I don't know what it's doing there, but um, go fish, go hunt, go enjoy Colorado, and we'll talk about it when we get back, but you don't have cancer. So Dave feels great, but he's got that little apprehensive thing. Now here's what you need to know. (laughs) Here's what you need to know. That several weeks beforehand, on a Thursday night, the men were gathered together, and one of the guys prayed this kind of prayer. He said, God, I pray that when they go into biopsy that thing, it's not even there. I pray that, it, that the doctors will be like, there's nothing to biopsy. That was the kind of prayer that he prayed while we sat around the fire a few weeks ago, one of the guys. So Dave went in to see the doctor. He's a little apprehensive. What's going on with my spleen? And the doctor said, what showed up on the test was probably, in fact, it was your spleen. He said, you have, and you were probably born with it, a slight hole in your diaphragm. And your spleen is sticking up there. It's probably been that way since you were born. And it's nothing to worry about. There's not even a tumor there that we could have biopsied. Wow, how cool is that, right? Yeah, it's a good clap kind of cool. I love it. I love it. And you know, God is such a good, good father, you know? And when he gives us that kind of blessing, it's a blessing. Now, as I tell that story, I know there are people here, and I'm one of them, that someone you love got prayed for that way, and it didn't go away. I want to tell you the rest of the story. When Dave told that story, he looked at the guy who had, uh, I might not have the details right on this gentleman, so please forgive me. But he looked at the guy who had prayed for him, sitting across the circle from him Thursday night as we were together in men's group. He looked at him and said, pay attention to this story. <laughs> of course, the guy's like, oh, okay. You're the one who prayed. The guy who prayed said, that wasn't me, it was Jesus. And then I don't remember if it was Dave or if it was that guy said, and you know what? He's still a good God, even if the cancer was still there. And that's the depth of your Christian faith that you may or may not have arrived at yet. But when you arrive at that depth of Christian faith, it's a good place to be. I love seeing God do things like making cancer not there, that the doctors said was there. And I love to see God doing things like making us, men and women who trust him, for better or for worse, right? In the good times and the hard times. And that's something that only comes if you're like at a place in your walk with God. You're like, I don't know that I can say that kind of sentence, that even if it's there, I still, he's still good. That's okay. Hang on, keep walking this journey because that's where God will take you and that's a beautiful place to be. No extra charge for that extra sermon, okay? <laughs> hey, we're gonna take a look at uh, one of the most quoted verses that you ever get to hear Um, It's in Matthew chapter 7, and usually we use it when we're feeling a little bit defensive. I've used it when I felt defensive. You probably have too, and chances are both of us 
have, when we've used it, taken it out of context. We've just lifted it up and said, I like this verse and I like what it says to you right now about what you're doing. So open your Bibles, if you would, to chapter 7 of Matthew, and there's a Bible app event for this if you want to follow along that way. In preparing for this message this week, I spent some time learning about pearls. And uh, it was stuff I kind of already knew, but I just want to make sure. You know, there's three kinds of pearls, right? There's the pearls that probably you got, if you were a girl, you got them when you were a little girl, and you probably never grew out of them. They're fake pearls. Fake pearls might be made of plastic. They could be made of glass or maybe uh, like bone china. They could even be made of seashells that have been synthetically crushed and put together. And while they're not a dime a dozen, they're relatively inexpensive compared to other pearls. The second kind of pearls are cultured pearls. Cultured pearls are pearls that somebody took an oyster or another mollusk and and they, they do this on, like they call it a farm, the oyster pearl farm, pearl oyster farm, they, they insert surgically a little irritant. You may think that's one of your children, but it's not. The, the irritant is, is a little piece of shell. They call it mother of pearl, in fact. And surgically, they'll put that into the oyster because here's where pearl comes from. There's something irritating that gets into the oyster that's sharp and jaggy in his flesh, and so he grows uh, a kind of a shell around that that becomes a sphere, it becomes a ball, it becomes a pearl. Well, hey, if we can put an irritant in there, then he'll grow one. And, and we call that cultured pearls. And they're, some, they're pretty valuable, cultured pearls are. The third kind of pearl is the natural one, and those are rare. They are formed when an oyster that's in the, the sea ha- encounters a piece of debris that gets in where it shouldn't be. It's an irritant to the oyster's flesh, and they grow the, the shell-like, the pearl material over it, and there you have it. Now, the International Gem Society didn't have any hard and fast numbers, but here's what they indicated. That you would have to pick up several million oysters and open them before you would find one that had a pearl in it. They're incredibly rare, and therefore natural pearls probably are only seen in museums because they're so valuable, or in really rich people's houses, right? Yeah. In our text today, Jesus mentions pearls. He talks about them by way of illustration. Of course, he's not talking about the fake ones, and he's not talking about the cultured ones because those weren't around in that time. He's talking about the one in several million thing, that pearl, and he mentions them at the end of the passage we're going to read today. We're going to read half a dozen verses, but I want to put the last one on the screen for you. Jesus says this. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Hmm, pearls. See what Jesus did there. He kind of set up a twofold illustration. First, he says, don't give dogs. And remember, when Jesus is talking about dogs, he's not talking about that cute little dog that you have at home. Nobody had cute little dogs at home in the first century. He's talking about those animals that run the streets and eat in the garbage. Don't give them what's sacred. You go down to the temple and you you sacrifice a lamb. And if you take some of that meat, you surely would never give that to one of these junkyard garbage dogs that's running around here. It's sacred. They would not appreciate it. And then he says, second, you don't give pigs. And again, remember, in Jesus' context, pigs weren't just dirty animals. They were unclean animals. 
I love bacon. They would never have eaten bacon. They would never even be around a pig because they're so filthy and unclean in Jesus' day. And they know nothing of the rarity of pearls. So you would never give them pearls because they would would probably just trample them to pieces. And maybe the dogs would tear your flesh. Don't do that. So the verses we read here, Jesus is talking about something that is valuable, like a pearl, something that is sacred that you wouldn't give to a dog. And I want, I want to see if you can see what that something is. What is Jesus talking about that has great value unless, unless you just don't get it? Unless you're kind of like a dog or kind of like a swine. What is he talking about? Let's read it. Chapter 1, follow along silently as I read these half dozen verses. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get this speck out of your eye while all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Did you get it? Do you see what Jesus is referring to as being like a pearl? I think, and I believe you'll see it too, that he's actually talking about judging or judgment. He's talking about judging others. Now, you know and I know that there's a certain kind of judgment that is all too human. There's a certain kind of judging that is ungodly, that is unholy, that is evil, that is even demonic. I can't overstate the ugliness of this certain kind of judging. You've probably experienced it to a greater or lesser degree. But there is another kind of judging that is sacred, that is holy, that is good, that is godly. A kind of judgment that is not to be treated with contempt. It is rare like a pearl, and valuable, therefore. And it shouldn't be treated callously, and it shouldn't be given out carelessly. And Jesus knows that. In fact, he knows there's different kind of judgments. Now, let me pause for a moment here and just make sure we're aware. Jesus isn't talking about the final judgment, nor am I, okay? Jesus is talking about humans interacting with one another and discerning what's going on in one another's lives and judging that one way or the other. And in that framework, I want to say to you that there's really, I want to note two different kinds of judgment. And I want to begin with the one that Jesus begins with, he actually warns against. And I'm going to call that condemning judgment. None of us like this kind of judgment. I kind of think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. It's condemning judgment. And you know that it's damaging. You know that it's dangerous. You know that It's even demonizing. When you demonize your enemy, that's condemning judgment. When you look at somebody and say, that person, they are just no good, they've never been any good, and they're never ever going to be any good, that's condemning judgment. You've condemned them without any sense of restoration or redemption. I want to say to you, I used to feel like this was the home field for the church. (laughs) You know? Uh, Growing up in a church environment where the main interaction in our family that was social was the church. And then being a pastor, I bumped into quite a few people 
who seem to enjoy standing in judgment of others and condemning them. Have you been around those people? I see you nodding. I saw you nodding before I even asked. But if there's anything that a dozen years (laughs) of social media has shown me, it is this. Condemning others in judgment is a problem for religious people and irreligious people alike. (laughs) Sometimes religious people maybe condemn irreligious people because they're irreligious, and sometimes irreligious people condemn religious people for being religious. (laughs) And Jesus warns us against this. Because condemnation, and that's a key word in this sermon, condemnation is not what the kingdom is about. It is not what Jesus came to do. In fact, we've talked about this, we've noted this before. Many of you have memorized John 3.16. I'm not going to put you on a spot, but put your hand up. I memorized John 3.16 at one time in my life. Yeah, it looks like probably two-thirds of us have memorized it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting love. Everlasting life, pardon me. That's the King James. Do you know what the next verse is? The next verse says this. Jesus is speaking, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, Jesus says, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I don't have to stand in condemnation of somebody. If, they're, if, if they are deserving of condemnation, then they are self-condemned. And when I, or when you, choose to engage in condemning judgment, we are not living as members of the kingdom. We're just not. And we're disobeying Matthew 7, 1, if we do that. Condemning judgment. It's judgment without grace. It's judgment based on rules and regulations, and I'm going to talk deeply about that in a moment, with no room for error. It's judgment without love. It is judgment without hope. Judgment that leads to despair. Condemning judgment. It walks hand in hand with clueless judgment, with judgment that lacks self-awareness. That's that woman who takes you aside and she says, honey, come here, come here, I want to show you. You're, You're slip showing. And you look down at your slip and then you happen to notice she's got two shoes that don't match. (laughs) Yeah, she's lacking some self-awareness there, right? Or it's the guy who tells you your pronunciation is off while all the while he is pronouncing pronunciation as though it were pronunciation. Your pronunciation is off. That's not the way to say it. It's pronunciation. Jesus says it's the guy with a two before sticking out of the front of his eye socket who's saying to you, I think I saw a piece of sawdust in your eye. Let me get that for you. And Jesus asks, how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when all along there's a plank in your own eye? You simply can't effectively help someone correct their course when your own navigational system is broken. (laughs) Such judgment isn't merely clueless. It's often hypocritical and it's always damaging. When you or I engage in judgment, (laughs) when you and I engage in judgment, being clueless concerning our own baggage, we just cause more damage. We just bring more trouble, and no one benefits. Condemning judgment is not the way of the kingdom. But there is another kind of judgment. I mean, listen again, and if you'd like to look again at what Jesus tells us to do in verse 5, he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove that speck from your brother's eye. 
That's judgment, you know. Seeing that speck in your brother's eye and removing it, but it's not condemning judgment. I think of it as redemptive, compassionate judgment. And Jesus advocates redemptive judgment. He loves compassion. Redemptive compassion is born of an awareness of what Jesus expresses back in verse 2 when he says, in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the reality is, we all do judge. And we do. When you go to the grocery store and you're going through the produce aisle, you look and you say, whoa, those bananas have been there too long. And who doesn't pick up a bag of potatoes and give it a quick smell? You do that, right? You're judging, you judgers, right? No, we do it by nature. We judge television shows. Laurel and I are watching something. We're like four episodes into it. I look at it and I say, you know, there's 80 episodes of this. She says, it's not worth it. Find something else, you know, right? We do that. We judge all the time. And we judge people too. And by the way, if you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, well, Pastor Steve, maybe you judge people, but I don't. I would like to thank you for proving my point. <laughs> right? Yeah. So Jesus says in verse 2, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you judge harshly, if you judge condemningly, hopelessly, mercilessly, then that's the way you should expect to be judged. Harshly, condemningly, hopelessly, mercilessly. But in the kingdom, kingdom people don't judge that way. And if they do, they're not behaving as though they are kingdom people, citizens of the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, we seek redemption. We engage in redemptive, compassionate judgment. That word, word, compassion, by the way, it means to feel with. More precisely, it means to suffer with. So we see someone who's struggling in some area of their life, and we suffer with them, imagining what it would be like to there. And in compassion, we seek to help them. As you read the Bible, you see that compassion is a consistent response of Jesus. In Matthew 14, 14, the scripture says, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus has compassion on people who are suffering. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, you read, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Compassion on the weary. In Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Compassion on the needy. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, the reason they were sheep without a shepherd is because they had strayed. And Jesus even has compassion on people who maybe intentionally stray from where they know doggone well they should be. He has compassion. Redemptive, compassionate judgment is judgment that sees another person's problem but does not condemn them for it. It's judgment that suffers along with them in their struggle and seeks to redeem what a lot of people would never hope to redeem. Redemptive judgment is the kind of judgment that everyone needs. 
It has great value. Verse 5, first take the plank out of your own eye and then look what you'll be able to do. You'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's compassionate judgment. It's the kind that say, hey, I had a beam in my eye one time that makes that speck you have look like a speck. <laughs> and, and God, help me get it out. Can I help you with this? Can I help you with what you're struggling with? And that kind of judgment is sacred. You would never give it to dogs. It is valuable. You would never throw it in front of pigs. Everyone needs that kind of judgment. Because condemptive, I'm sorry, <laughs> because redemptive judgment is not condemning. It's actually restorative. Redemption never has to do with tearing down, but it's all about building up. It is about restoring that which is broken and making it whole. Redemptive judgment wants to help me become who I should become. And if the Spirit of God is involved in my life, then the Spirit of God is at work making me want to be the person I should become. And so therefore, redemptive judgment helps me become the me that I want to be. Because the Spirit has done that work inside of me, and that's what I want more than anything. It's not condemning. It's restorative. And it's not blind. It's aware. Self-aware. A redemptive, compassionate judge is aware that everyone struggles. A redemptive, compassionate judge knows that as mere humans, we are aware that we all struggle in similar ways to the very person we're thinking about, probably even worse our struggle is. And that self-awareness causes us to tend to the beam that's in our own eye. And in that sense, redemptive judgment is not hypocritical. It's genuine. It's real. It's not pretending. It's not posing. It's not phony. It's honest. Because it honestly cares. Now I want to take a little break here in the middle. Not that we're going to leave or anything. But I want to talk to you about the dangers of judgment in general. Because they're very dangerous. <laughs> they're very real, I should say. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, don't judge or you too will be judged. When, when I judge another, regardless of whether it's condemning judgment or redemptive judgment, I need to be aware that I'm demonstrating my own culpability. When you judge, you are announcing to the world that you know right from wrong. You're showing them that you know right from wrong. And the way you judge, either with, either with condemnation in mind or redemption in mind reveals how you feel your own judgment should be implemented wow let that sink in for a minute the way you judge if you have condemnation in mind or redemption in mind it shows how you think judgment even your own should be implemented when you judge you're demonstrating your own culpability and you are also are you also risk reducing your faith to rules. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is of Naaman. Naaman went down to the river and dipped and he dipped and he dipped and he dipped and he dipped. If you were a little kid, you might have sung that song at Mahaffey years ago. I like that part of the story, but the end of the story is what I love about Naaman. Naaman was a servant of a pagan, a pagan king, and he, he came to be healed in Israel and he was healed. He was healed in the waters of the Jordan. And and at the end, he goes to Elisha, who's the prophet, and he says to him, your servant, that is me, I'll never make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. And then he says this. He says, 
But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon, a pagan god, to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, because evidently his master was older, he's leaning on my arm. When he goes to bow down, I have to bow down as well. I bow down in the temple of Rimon. May the Lord forgive your servant for this. I love the language that Elisha uses. And Elisha is no small prophet. He and Elijah, they were the big hitters in the Old Testament. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say, hey, listen, the rules are the rules. And it says, thou shalt have no other gods before. Thou shalt not bow down to them. Nope, no, you can't do that. He doesn't do that. Listen to what he says. It's three words. Go in peace. Go in peace. I love that story because it shows the folly of a faith that has been reduced to rules. And it shows me that faith is a matter of the heart. And that judging another without knowing the heart is a dangerous thing to do. A dangerous thing to do. In the kingdom, faith is never a matter of rules. Third danger is destroying relationships. To my shame, I admit I have done this by engaging in condemning judgment. I probably wasn't thinking like, yeah, you're condemned and I'm glad about it. But my heart was not a heart that was seeking redemption and compassion and humility. And I have lost friendships about, over that and I, I regret the foolishness of my youth in many ways. And, uh, and the greatest grief I have is now I've lost the potential of influencing them for the kingdom's sake. Judgment, especially condemning judgment, can be dangerous. So why would anybody do it? I mean, why would you do it? Because of the value of it. There is great value in redemptive judgment. In fact, I'm going to say something that might sound a bit extreme, but I believe it's completely accurate. Listen to this. Without redemptive judgment, the kingdom of heaven as we know it would not exist. It wouldn't. (laughs) Redemptive judgment doesn't just simply have value in the kingdom. It is essential to the kingdom. It's a part of it. It's a pillar of the kingdom. Redemptive judgment has value because it helps others. One of my favorite stories along these lines is my roommate in college. If you've been coming to Kermansville for a few decades, you've heard this sermon, you've heard this story rather a few times. I love this story. Had a roommate in college, Christian college, who was intelligent, he was strong, he was good looking, he was athletic, tan, muscular, musically talented, he could play the guitar. I could only wish to play the guitar and sing like that boy. He had it all, you know? He's all that. He had it all. (laughs) And he was extremely aware that he had it all. Hmm. See where I'm going with this? And he was happy to tell you and you and you and you that he has it all. I have it all. Look at me. Look how cool I am. And his boasting became so well known that in less than a half semester, people began to avoid him. I saw it happen in the dining hall. We'd be sitting down for lunch. And someone would walk toward, they'd see me or the other people at the table, and then they'd see that my roommate was there, and they'd say, good to see you, and they'd go sit somewhere else. It was damaging his relationships, his boasting was. And I wondered, I wonder if I should say something. (laughs) He's my roommate, right? We're both Christians. What would you do? And after some prayer, and after some checking for the beam in my own eye, and probably running some power tools to get it out of there, I approached him with as compassionate a heart as I could find. 
We were sitting alone in the dorm. My desk was in this corner of the room facing the wall. His desk was in that corner facing the same wall. I told him what a great guy he was. I told him how talented he was. I wished that I could play the guitar like you do, buddy. And uh, man, when you walk into a room, I see that girls look at you. You've got a lot going for you. But there's something that makes me sad. And I told him what I had observed. And then I just asked the question, have you ever thought of maybe just looking at yourself and your tendency to boast? Have you ever thought about easing off of that? He didn't look at me. He looked straight ahead into the wall. And he said these words. Proverbs 25.12. I'm sorry? He didn't look at me. He's looking straight ahead. Proverbs 25.12. What about it? Look it up. Now, I was pretty sure that that was Bob Livergood's favorite Bible verse. (laughs) Bob Livergood's favorite Bible verse has this statement right in the middle of it. Mind your own business. (laughs) I thought, wow, man, this guy's going to put me right in my place right now. And he could have done that. Whether those were pearls or not, he could have stomped on them. He could have turned on me and, and devoured me if he wanted to. But this is what the verse said. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Look, I'm not saying I was a wise judge. I was a kid in Bible college, right? But he was a wise man because he saw that that was not condemning judgment. He saw that it was redemptive, compassionate judgment. And he began to change. I've lost track of him. He was only there one semester. You don't know how many times on Facebook I've looked for him because I like him. He became somebody that you would like because redemptive judgment is helpful toward others. It doesn't just help others, though, when I choose redemptive judgment. It helps me because it keeps me aware of some things. First, it keeps me aware of my responsibilities. It reminds me that I'm my brother's keeper, that God put that roommate into my life for a reason. And kingdom people are aware of that. They see that. And it makes me a person who cares. It doesn't just help others, it helps me, it keeps me aware of my responsibilities, and it makes me profoundly aware of my imperfections. Have you ever been sitting down talking to someone, maybe even your own flesh and blood, maybe your kid or something, and you're just talking about, you know that you do this, and as you're saying the words, you're like, son of a gun, I do it too. Rats, I do it too. And it kind of it just lets you know about your own imperfections, and that makes you listen, listen. Seeing your own imperfections is good for you because it can make you a person of grace. And that's what you want to be. You want to be a person of grace. And it's helpful because it pushes you to the cross. It reminds you of your need for redemption. It reminds you that you need to run to the great, compassionate, redemptive judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. It humbles your heart, making you look to him and say, I need to be forgiven for this thing in my life. And it strengthens your appreciation of the sacrifice he made for your sin. And it increases your own reliance on grace. I just got to rely on grace. It's all grace. If it isn't all grace, I'm damned. I'm condemned but it is all grace. He is not the condemning judge 
in your life. One day he will judge. The great white throne judgment, there will be condemnation there. But that is not what he has done in your life or your life or your life or mine. He has been the redemptive judge. He has been the compassionate judge. And he continues to do so. This is why Jesus, when he speaks of judgment, says, do not give what is sacred. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, may turn to you and tear you to pieces. Speaking with redemptive judgment requires discernment. It takes wisdom. And even then, it is a risk. But it's worth it. Because it is what Jesus did. And in the kingdom, he calls you to share that redemptive heart. I want to pray that we could do that. So as the musicians are coming, if you're comfortable standing with me, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow your heart with me? Father in heaven, we live in a society that that tells us that judgment is always wrong. Don't get judgy. You're judging him. (laughs) And therefore, often just robs us of an opportunity to experience the compassion that you have for us. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that none of us would take this teaching and go out and consider it a license to correct people. That is not what this teaching is about. This teaching is a license to look at the beam in your own eye and spend most of your time with your carpentry skills on that too before and be willing to lovingly, compassionately, gently, humbly, genuinely, caringly help your brother with the speck in his own. Help us do that, God, for the sake of the kingdom. In the name of Christ Jesus the Lord, amen.